The title of our lesson tonight is The Subsistence of Christ. And I, I must confess, the, uh, the study guide, the one I'm uh, using, is by a well-known preacher of years gone by, uh, Arthur uh, Pink. And uh, his study guides are quite old. He is well-known for being an excellent Bible theologian and teacher. And again, I don't agree with everything he writes, but he would, would, would hardly agree with me at all anyway, so that doesn't matter, but he is a good man of God. But sometimes I wonder about the wording he chooses uh, in some of his writing. And again, I, we're talking about quite a few years ago. And so I, I saw this title, The Subsistence of Christ. What in the world does that mean? Well, I, I just make sure to understand that. Th- that word subsistence simply means the state or the fact of existing. So I had to question myself, why didn't you just put the existence of Christ? Well, I think he has a point we need to realize. And again, according to his observation, and again, it's been quite a few years ago, he was of the opinion uh, that a lot of Christians would agree uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, is co-equal with the Father, the Spirit, and that 2,000 years ago the Word became flesh, and was made in the likeness of men. And so he said most would agree with that. He said most would agree that it is the union of the divine and human natures in the person of Christ which qualified him to be our mediator. And the question he asked, I wonder, he says, how many would know that God existed in heaven before the world came in to existence, that the God-man, Christ, exists in heaven before the world came into existence. Now, by the way, I, I think, I would hope to, to think that you would know that. We emphasize that quite often here. But I, I know about 25 years ago, I was here at the church with someone that attended church for quite a while, had kind of almost come up in church even in their younger years. And uh, the question he asked me one day took me by surprise. Because I could tell he didn't understand the subsistence of the eternal existence of Christ. Now, again, we know uh, how long has God existed? Forever. And since Christ is God, he has to exist how long? Forever. Okay, so we have to understand that. Uh, it's interesting. Um, and, and again, we think of Christ you know, a whole lot. We, we preach about him. We teach about read about him. Uh, we read about his life here on earth for uh, 33 and a half years or thereabouts. That's recorded for us in, in the New Testament. And I wonder sometimes if we don't get the wrong perspective and tend to forget that he is eternal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 6, look at verse 62. All right, thank you, Dan. Now, I realize we're pulling that... That verse, uh, you know, right out of a, uh, a lot of verses in that chapter. The, you know, we're at verse 62 and there's more uh, verses yet. But in that, in that chapter, Jesus had fed the 5,000 and then he decided to have Bible study. And they're struggling believing who he is. You know, uh, as far as they're concerned, who do they see or what do they see? Thank you. Yeah, a man looked like, and looked like who? Every other Jew. Okay, so, okay, you know, you're here, you, you fed the 5,000, they were part of that, and certainly I, I think that, 
they might have thought, you know, there's something special about this guy. But still, they're struggling to really comprehend. And his question is, suppose you watch me ascend back to where I come from. Now, again, we don't know for sure, but what kind of question do you think that was? If you're amazed now, if you saw me go back to where I come from, you would really be astounded. You would really be amazed. So again, he says, ascend up where he was before. So where he was before, what does that mean? Huh? Yeah, in heaven. He's here now. But he said, one day I'll ascend back to where I was before. Now, again, not... I'm going to send back up and have a new beginning there. No, I was already there. So here in John chapter 6, verse 62, it's clear that Jesus speaks about his preexistence. That's also kind of interesting. Uh, that was also known uh, by the Old Testament saints. In the 80th Psalm, in verse 17, Asaph says a prayer. Look what he says. Verse 17, Psalm 80. Thank you. Now again, Asaph's praying here, and he's praying that God would let his hand be upon the man of his right hand. Who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus. Now remember, he came to earth, he became man, But when he ascended, he sat down where? On the right hand of God. Why would he do that? Amen. He come back not only to where he came from, but to the position he had for how long? For eternity. He had that position for eternity. Now, by the way, I came about within three thirty seconds of an inch not doing this lesson tonight. Because the more I studied it, the more confused I got. And that being said, it dawned on me. No matter how hard we try, we will never fully explain God. Why is that? Amen. And I'm not, okay? And I am not. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to try to plow through this, okay? And I pray that God at least give me some wisdom as we try to look at some of these verses tonight. But what's interesting is the man, Christ Jesus taken into union with himself by the second person of the Trinity, he subsisted, which means he existed, before the Father from all eternity and was the object of the Old Testament saints' faith. So what are we saying? From all eternity, Christ existed and he was before the Father. He was in the sight of the Father. They existed together. Now, again, we're not talking about mysticism here. Uh, it is not heresy uh, because it is simply a fact. He has always been with God. And we'll take a, a few more verses that I think are familiar with all of us tonight uh, to, to show that's exactly uh, what the Bible says. Now, first of all, we know he came to earth 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years ago. Uh, but what if we said... Uh, that he had a soul 
and body before he was born in Bethlehem. That would be wrong. Now, remember, when he was born, did he become God? Why? He already was. He became a man. He had a soul, a body, and a spirit. So, again, what the Bible affirms is that the mediator, Christ Jesus, in his two natures, had a real existence before God from all of eternity. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Okay. Again, who's Peter talking about? Jesus. And he made note he was made he was shown manifest in the last times. But remember, when did God have that plan? From the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. Isaiah forty two, verse one. Isaiah forty two, verse one. All right, thank you. Now, by the way, uh, just to make sure, you know, let you know, I did do some research on this. Now, first of all, would you agree God is speaking here? And he talks about his servant, okay? Now, there were some who would say, well, God's servant was Israel. That's who he's talking about. And, you know, we can argue that point to a point, but later on in the, in the same chapter, it's clear he's not talking about Israel. He's talking about Christ. But also understand God had intended for Israel to be his servant. He was the one, uh, that, that was a nation that God had ordained, uh, if you will, to take uh, the gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, the good news about God. But they failed. And only Christ could do what Israel could never do. So in Isaiah 42, 1, he's talking about his servant, talking about Jesus Christ. I put my spirit upon him, and he's going to bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. John chapter 1, verse 1, very familiar. Verse, read, let's read it again tonight. Okay, let's go to verse 14 real quick. We'll make a comment. How about verse 14? Same chapter. Okay, so John is writing, verse 1, he reminds us that in the beginning was the Word. Uh, the Word was not only with God, the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So, please understand, there's a then and a now. John says there was a time that Christ, that Christ existed in eternity from the very beginning. But there was also a time that that word, Jesus Christ, became flesh, and John said he lived among us. So again, we're talking about the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. Not only then, but also now. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 4. I thank you, Jason. So as we consider these verses, we just read these four or five verses, we have to understand that Christ was ordained before the foundation of the world. He was chosen by God from eternity past to be the mediator, but not 
as God only, but the God-man. Okay? He had to become man in order to be the mediator. So, he was a mediator in the man Christ Jesus. And the man Christ Jesus was eternally joined, if you will, to the eternal word that had a historical existence. And when the fullness of time came, he arrived. He became flesh. But also, he had an actual existence long before that. So the question of how can that be? Well, I don't think we'll ever figure that out. But God's Word says it is. It plainly says that. Now, it's also interesting, kind of give it maybe a, uh, an illustration here, and it's difficult to uh, bring something that, that compares exactly to this, uh, so it's not strictly equivalent. Uh, but I think it helps us illustrate uh, this principle. Go to Hebrews 11. Uh, verse 1, very familiar passage. All right, thank you, Dan. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance. What does the word substance mean? Huh? Stuff. Thank you, Jason. How does the uh, ESV translate it? You have it by chance? I don't normally ask that, but I'm going to slip up on that for a minute. Okay. Now, the Greek word for substance really signifies subsistence. Now, please understand something, folks. We don't place our faith in something that's not there. What I mean by that is, even though you may not see it, it's real. It's stuff. Okay? It is substance. So, when the writer of Hebrews says faith is the substance of things, it's opposed to what's only an image of the imagination In fact, it's the opposite of a fantasy. Faith is not a fantasy. There's substance behind it. Okay? So faith gives a real substance in the mind and the heart of things that are yet to be. Uh, let me, let me see if I can help us, at least me understand a little bit. Okay? How many believe that Jesus Christ is going to return again? Okay? Can we see it? No. Is it a fantasy? No. It's not a figment of imagination, but it requires faith to believe that. And so it has substance to it. It subsists, if you will. It is stuff. Not just a fantasy. It's real subsistence in our mind, in our heart, of something that is not yet, but is absolutely going to be. So what faith does, it lays hold of the things that God has promised so they become actually present. They are ours right now. We know they are real. 
So if faith possesses the power to add reality to what yet has no historical actuality, if faith can enjoy the present right now, whose existence is yet in the future, how much more, now hold on, how much more was God able to give the mediator a covenant substance ages before Christ was born. Now remember, and hold on here some folks. I know a lot of charismatic have taken this and run with it, but the truth of the matter, the only one who can really call things that are not as though they are is God. It is God. So understand, God gave substance to that long before Christ became a man. So, long before he was born, endless ages ago, God gave that covenant. So, Christ was the Son of Man in heaven, secretly before God, before he became the Son of Man openly in this world. So, understand, other than becoming flesh, Did Christ change? No. He's forever the same. Isaiah 49, look at verse 2. I want to focus on the last part of that where it said, In his quiver hath he hid me. Now the quiver of God according to Arthur Pink, is a good expression that talks about and denotes the secrecy in which the purpose of God was concealed. Now, by the way, when did God know that Christ would become a man? In the beginning, from the foundation of the world. So it was hid. And according to Isaiah, it was hid in the quiver. Again, showing the secrecy and the security of the purpose of God. Now, also understand, we think about the purpose of God. Christ had promised to send, I mean, God promised to send a Redeemer, the God-man Christ Jesus. Uh, what or who or if anything was going to stop that? Nothing or no one. Simply can't happen. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 8 tonight because I think it might be one of the uh, best ways to illustrate this. And uh, let me put out a disclaimer here before we do this. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 8, the Bible speaks about lady wisdom. Uh, In the previous chapters, uh, the writer Proverbs mentioned about Madam Folly, two different characters, Two different outcomes, uh, two different examples. And, uh, and certainly there are a lot of arguments about these verses. Is the writer of Proverbs 8, uh, certainly we, we do know he's personifying wisdom. And he refers to her as a lady. And again, there's a lot of argument about these verses. Uh, but it's interesting, in the early church, 
almost everyone agreed that Lady Wisdom was a figurative description of God the Son. Okay? So that's what I'm going to base our teaching on tonight. And again, I know there's other arguments out there that says that the Bible is speaking only about wisdom. But let's look at some verses tonight, and I think we'll see that. Uh, let's go to verse 12, Proverbs chapter 8. Okay, uh, so again, we see that word wisdom there. Uh, again, it's personified. Uh, but the reason that uh, many today, and even the early church fathers, uh, believed it was certainly uh, figurative Christ, one example would be 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Anybody got that? Okay, so Christ is who the God... He's the power of God. And what else? The wisdom of God. <coughs> now, so, so please kind of hold on to that. Now, but also understand, it is clear that wisdom here has a reference to a person. Okay, it's personified. And according to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, certainly Christ is the wisdom of God. Uh, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 8, look at verse 17. Okay, again, referring to a person. And I can see how this would apply figuratively to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, back up to verse 15, Proverbs 8. Okay, now let me kind of make an a observation here. Um, for those who would only say it's personified and doesn't mean necessarily Christ, uh, first of all, we have to remember something. Uh, do all kings and princes use wisdom when they reign? No. In fact, relatively few do. So, but the passage says, by me, kings reign and princes decree justice. Reading through the book of Daniel recently, and uh, one thing Nebuchadnezzar learned, he wasn't where he was at by his own choice. He was there because God put him there. And Daniel realized it wasn't uh, Nebuchadnezzar's story. It was God's story. It was God who raises up kings and puts them down. And that's exactly what Proverbs 8, 17, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 15 says. And so when we think about this, uh, we can't help but see Christ in uh, these pictures here. So uh, while some of the verses in chapter 18 of Proverbs could just be wisdom personified. But I think there are some verses could probably only be applied to divinity, which, of course, would be uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, back up to verse 14 of Proverbs 8. Let's read 14 through 16. Okay, thank you, Dan. Again, we see a glimpse of divinity is certainly more than just any any person. Uh, go down to verse 23, because when you get to verse 23, it's kind of a problem verse uh, as far as being referring to the, to the Son of God. Uh, 23 through 25. Somebody read that, please. Thank you. 
One more verse. Okay, now again, uh, I told you earlier, uh, we'll never fully comprehend God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Again, which one is God? They all are. Which one is more God? They're all the same, co-equal, okay? And, but if I ask you tonight, and if you want to be theologically correct, if I ask you to say, who is the first person of the Trinity, what would be the correct, the correct answer? God. Who's the second person of the Trinity? Jesus. And the third, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Now, to me, that confuses me, but it's a fact. A fact the Bible teaches. I don't comprehend it, don't understand it necessarily, but it's still a fact of Scriptures. So, when the Bible speaks of Him being set up from everlasting, uh, from beginning or ever the earth was, it speaks about being, uh, in verse 24, uh, brought forth. And again, we see the phrase brought forth uh, in verse 25. Now, and I want to tell you, folks, we're treading in deep water, okay? And I, I confess that tonight. But God's wisdom, referring to the Son of God, is from God the Father. And it specifically means that God the Son is brought forth by God the Father. Now, make sure we understand, and I told you that earlier that uh, a lot of how the early church fathers perceived Christ uh, came from chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs. And the Nicene Creed, you know, I guess, I don't know how long they studied this and discussed it, but here's what they concluded technically. They said, God the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And they were very clear on this. They said that doesn't mean that he was created in time. But what it does mean, the way in which we distinguish between the person of the Father and the person of the Son is in their eternal relationship to each other. That's why we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, they are co-equal. They are one in unity, but yet they are distinct. Would you agree with that? That's still hard for me and you and I to comprehend. So, when Proverbs chapter 8 talks about brought forth, it referring to the fact it happened in eternity past, even long before the hills. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so when the Bible speaks about the Son being brought forth or begotten, the, the bottom line is it is telling us that yes, there's one God in three persons. It reminds us that the Son's divine essence is exactly like the Father's and it also is it communicated from the Father. Now, don't ask me to explain it, because I can't. It's simply the divine nature of God, okay? That's why we have a triune God. One God, three parts, but they're all the same. 
but they all find their base in God. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Let's read the first three verses together this time. Okay, now it's interesting. First of all, the writer of Hebrews reminds us. First of all, uh, well, second of all, I got already said. First of all, uh, Rick's out of town this week. As far as I know, he's the only one in our church older to have been there, the creation. Okay, hope he's not listening tonight. They're traveling, but the fact that we, none of us were there. So, how do we believe that God framed the worlds through what? Through faith. We believe that through faith. So, framed by the Word of God, God spoke it. But also, John said, we read earlier, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by the way, the uh, Greek word for word in, in John is the word logos, logos, and it means the expression of God. And who was Jesus? The expression of God wasn't any different. So the Son is the image of the Father. He is the exact representation of God's being. And because, and if this is true of the Son, it's also true of the Son as wisdom. Divine wisdom reveals the Father. Because divine wisdom is the Son, the image and the only begotten of the Father. Now remember, begotten from eternity past. He's always been with God. Go back to Proverbs chapter 8, look at verse 30 and 31. Again, we're talking about wisdom here, personified in Christ. And was Christ with God during the act of creation? Yes. Yes. In fact, like a master workman, beside him, daily his delight, rejoice before him always. And so... uh, that term in the King James uh, Master Workman, it means like he's the architect. He is the designer. So, in his eternal divinity, God the Son personified as wisdom here in chapter 8 of Proverbs is the Master Workman at the Father's side. He is the Creator of all things. Uh, a verse that came to my mind. I don't have it in our notes. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. I think it's verse 17. Anybody want to find that for me, please? Colossians 1, 17. 
was that verse tell us? He was there in the beginning. And who holds it together? He does. He's the architect. He is the architect. So Proverbs 8 tells us about Jesus that God the Son is in fact the wisdom of the Father. He's always been there. It also tells us that God the Son incarnate is a pattern and the end goal of creation because He is the image of God. He is the pinnacle of creation. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We read earlier in 1 Corinthians 1, 24 about Christ being the wisdom of God. And again, Proverbs 8 goes beyond itself, pointing to that fact that Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But also understand this same divine wisdom that's always existed is also the pattern and goal of creation in his incarnation. And of course, also in redemption and also in his substitutionary death. Now, it's kind of interesting. Uh, a, a lot of times, whenever we are planning to do something, uh, to build something or whatever it might be, as we're going along, we change our plans. Why? Things change. What about God? How many times he changed his plan? Now, he didn't have to because of the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. So, Jesus, God the Son of the flesh, truly is Christ, the power of God, and he is the wisdom of God. So, I, th- I think it's important to know, and even though it's difficult for us to understand sometimes, uh, as we study, like in Proverbs 8, um, hopefully it become clear to us that there are some impossible things to understand uh, if we try to take it and separate the deity of Christ. Uh, because please understand, uh, the things we read in Proverbs 8 could not be true just only if you were only human and not God. He had to be the God-man. And so when we see it as a whole, Proverbs chapter 8, and we see it uh, as it tries to contemplate the mediator in the God-man in his two natures. Now again, was Christ God? Yes. Was he man? Yes. Fully God and fully man. So the man, Christ Jesus, united in the second purse of the Godhead, was also possessed by the triune God from eternity. He has always existed, and guess what? He will always do exist. He will never stop existing. Go back to Proverbs 8 again. Look at verse 22. Okay, so the mediator speaking here, uh, he had a covenant subsistence before God uh, created the universe. He was there from the beginning. So the man Christ Jesus, taking into union with the eternal Son, if you will, uh, was the beginning, was there at the beginning of God's, the triune God's way. He was always there. 
And again, we mentioned God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first person of the Godhead being God, second being Christ, third the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's certainly hard for us to think of it that way sometimes. Uh, and we wonder about that. But it's interesting. That's how God explains them in the Word of God. So the Bible says it's okay to use terms like that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the first person, second person, and the third person. Colossians 1.15. Okay, thank you. Now, we're talking about who here in verse 15? Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. But Paul says... He's also the firstborn of every creature. Now think about that. So not only was he appointed to be the head of the church, Paul says he was the firstborn of all creation. Now does that mean there was a time he was not? No, not at all. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7. Okay, thank you, Dan. Again, this is Christ speaking. And uh, from what the writer of Hebrews said, quoting there, the entire Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews said, it's written about in the volume of the book. Some months ago, when we first began our study on the Godhead, we talked about the decrees of God. And it's been a while, but if God says he's going to do something, what can, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. We can count on that. And the fact that God had predetermined the man Christ would one day uh, join with a divine union was one of God's first decrees. In the volume of the book, it was written. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 11. Okay, how long has God had that purpose? Eternally. Christ has always subsisted. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So when did God have this plan? When did he come up with that plan? Yeah, from the beginning. From the foundation of the world. All of God's divine counsels have never changed. They are for eternity. Christ was ordained to be the cornerstone on which all creation was to be built upon. He is the first fruit, if you will. 
And as that cornerstone, the triune God possessed or embraced him, uh, he, again, preordained by God, uh, divine counsel were laid upon him, and he was the one chosen, sufficient, if you will, and qualified for all the works that he did. And we're getting ready this weekend to celebrate the resurrection. But again, that was God's approval on all the works that Christ did. So when we think about that, because he was that divine agent decreed from the foundation of the world to do all these works for mankind. And because of that, he is both not only the wisdom of God, he is also the power of God. And it's also interesting, we know that no man has seen God at any time. But John said Jesus has come and he's declared God to us. In John 14, Jesus told the disciples, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So when we think about him being the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ is, and the power of God, it was a perfect vehicle through which to express God himself. So God expressed himself through Jesus. So if you want to see God, you've got to see who? Jesus. Amen. You've got to see Jesus. And so this was the beginning of God's way. The way of God is is very important, signifying the outworking of all of his eternal decrees. Decrees, that was God's plan from the beginning. And what's interesting is God is going to accomplish every one of his holy purposes because Christ has always existed and he is qualified to be the God-man, to be the one and only mediator. Because he was pre-existent, he subsisted. Proverbs 8.23. Thank you, Dan. We read a moment ago in John 1, where John wrote, In the beginning was the word. So if somebody would ask, well, where was the beginning? Where do you want to start? No matter, no matter where you start, I guess he was there. God was, Jesus was. And here in the Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 8, verse 23, very clearly, Christ existed from the womb of eternity. Before all worlds, Jesus Christ in his character had already been set up from all eternity. Before God had planned to create any creature, he first set up Christ as the original. There was an order to God's counsels. There was an order to creation. And Christ, Paul said later, has the preeminence of all things. He is preeminent. Why? Because he subsisted from the foundation of the world. Now, by the way, the Hebrew verb for set up is anointed. He was anointed by God. He invested Christ from the foundation of the world with the authority uh, to hold the office of mediator between God and man. And by the way, that was not an afterthought. That was established in an everlasting covenant between God and himself. All the glory that Jesus Christ as mediator 
was, was given to him, of course, on the condition of his obedience and his suffering. John 17, look at verse 5. Okay, thank you, Lavenda. Now, what we didn't read, Christ had already prayed, Lord, I've finished my works. I've finished it all. And now that I'm finished, Christ prays to the Father to glorify him with the glory he had from eternity past. Jesus Christ subsisted long before he became a man. The glory which is there expressly um, gave him, if you will, from the beginning to be head of all creation. He is preexistent. He's eternal. He is our great God and Savior. The firstborn of every creature. He had this glory from the foundation of the world. And now in John 17, he prays, Lord, Let me go back. And how many know, on the day of ascension, God answered that prayer. Where did Christ go? Back to the Father, where he will be for eternity. The subsistence of Jesus Christ. No wonder they call him the Savior. 